isn't it good to know that uh, he is the one that's able to satisfy every need that we have. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. If you've ever really made a thorough study of, uh, of this chapter or the Gospel of John, you know that it would be really easy to spend four or five hours at least just in chapter one trying to really dig out all of the, all of the good things that God has written. And I thought about that whenever the Lord laid the message on my heart, and I thought, Lord, you know, if I go much over an hour, they're probably not going to be happy. And so uh, I, I determined in my heart that uh, uh, I, 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 won't, I won't go much over an hour. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. It'll be a bit under an hour. I think... If the Lord will, I, as you, if you know me, you know I'm always saying if the Lord will and the creek don't rise, and uh, my, my kids got me one of those blankets, and that's what it says on the, on the quilt. Yeah, when you get older, you get those little blankies, don't you? Yeah, and you like them, and it has, uh, if the Lord will and the creek don't rise. John chapter 1 and I want you to focus with me this morning on verse number 11. So hard to read just one verse of this chapter because of, of what it says. It's so amazing. Verse 11, he, let me stop there a minute. I don't know if I can read just one verse. Who's he talking about, he? Well, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. So when it says He came, He's talking about God. He's talking about Christ. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Amazing. Have you ever thought about what if? All of the different things, uh, that subjects that you could talk about, what if? What if this? What if that? And the list of things could go on and on and on. But the most interesting and, and certainly the most serious of, of all of them would be this. And that is, what if Jesus had not come? I mean, just try to imagine where we would be had Christ never been born. To never have heard the wonderful words from His lips. For no man to ever see the mighty miracles that he performed. To no one to ever witness his life of perfection. No resurrection from the grave. Just suppose. Just suppose that all of the libraries of the world had no record of his birth. And of all of the works of art that have been done. And I'm not much in the area of art, especially religious art. But suppose no one had ever been inspired to, to draw any pictures or write any poems or compose any music. What if there'd been no reason to build those great cathedrals? What if 
he had not come, there would be no churches. There would be no, no, no religious schools, no hospitals that have been founded by churches, no charitable institutions or anything of that nature. No choir, no preachers, no Sunday school, no Christian literature. Just hard to imagine what the world would be like had he not come. Had he not come, the promises of God would have been left unfulfilled. The character of God would be tainted. The power and the existence of God, that would, well, you'd have to question that. The world would be in spiritual darkness had he not come. Sinners would have no way to heaven. There would be no gospel. There'd be no evidence of God's love for man, no Christmas, no Easter. Thank God, in the fullness of time, the Bible says, He came. He came. I'm so glad that He came. He, Emmanuel, is God in the flesh. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Prophet, the Priest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He came. He didn't send an angel of some kind, but He came Himself. He planned all of creation. He created it all. Christ. Who could have done anything like that? The wonderful thing is He came to us personally. I mean, this is the most meaningful thing, that He came unto us. You look in the Bible and you see that this wasn't some spur-of-the-moment thing that God came up with because He realized that we were having problems down here. Oh no, God, omniscient God knew from the very beginning that although He created man in His likeness and in His image, He knew that man was going to fall. And from the beginning of the world, God had already devised a plan whereby He might redeem fallen man. The first promise was way back there in Genesis 3.15 where He speaks about the seed of the woman. The famous promise is over there in Isaiah where He talks about the virgin shall conceive... But now we see the fulfilled promise. So we have the promises of His coming, and here is the proof of the fact is He came. That, that, looks, that gives us good reason to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. There are over 300 prophecies fulfilled during our Lord's life on earth. His coming even changed the calendar, by the way. And the purpose behind all of it. You know, we know when He came. We know where He came to. We know why He came to redeem us. Why? And it's out of the depths of God's great love for fallen man. He came. He, he tells us Himself. He said He did not come to judge the world. He certainly could have. He could have indicted us in a, in a heartbeat because we're all guilty. But He didn't come as a babe in Bethlehem's manger. He didn't come as the founder of the New Testament church. He didn't come for that purpose to judge the world. That was not His plan at that time. He didn't come to start an earthly kingdom. 
That's what the disciples wanted. That's why they were so confused. They wanted the kingdom right here and now. And they said in Acts chapter 1, are you going to restore again the kingdom? I mean, is it ready? I mean, you've been crucified. You've been raised from the dead. Now's the time for the kingdom. Oh, no, not yet. Now, he will judge the world one of these days. He will establish his kingdom upon this earth forever and forever and forever. But that wasn't the reason why Jesus came that first Christmas morning. It wasn't the reason that he lived a virtuous life. It wasn't the reason that he died a vicarious death on the old rugged cross. That, that wasn't the reason but John tells us exactly what the reason was. Look, beginning in verse number 4 of this same chapter. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Amen. Jesus came to project light. He needed to because we live in a depraved and sin-darkened world. We are corrupt, we're confused, we're condemned. And you look back over in Romans chapter number 1 at that pitiful picture there, describing the sinner like this. Because, it says, they became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. That describes us as, as an unsafe person. That describes the world. They looked upon His creation, which was a testimony as to His existence. And when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But what? Became vain in their imagination. And that's when it says, and their foolish heart was darkened. That was the world that baby Jesus was born into. A sin-darkened world. But He came as the light. And light reveals the true nature of things. And in Him we see God. In Him we see that perfect standard of righteousness. You see, as the light of the world, He came to reveal God to man and to show man the way to God. Isn't it sad that so many people today would rather live in the darkness? The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. There's no reason for anyone to be confused about this matter of heaven and hell and right and wrong or any of those things because we have the light in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Secondly, look at verse number 4. It very clearly tells us He came not only to project light but to provide life. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, when I talked about living in a sin-darkened world, it's darkened simply because the natural man is spiritually dead. That is to say, he is separated from God. And as Paul described in Ephesians, he has no hope and he's without God in the world. 
If you're here today, you might be the nicest person in Houston, the most generous person. It might be that you are very intelligent. It might be that you make great contributions to the society and what have you, but the fact of the matter is, spiritually, you, you are dead. There's no life there. You go out in the parking lot and take one of the cables off of your battery and your vehicle is dead. It can't move. It can't go. It, it stopped in its tracks because there's no connection with the power that provides the life that that engine needs. And when Adam sinned against God, that connection, remember, man was made in the image of God. God is three persons in the Godhead, and man is a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the spirit part of man died when Adam sinned. Remember, the Lord said, in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. Well, good night, he lived 930 years. He didn't die physically, did he? No, but he died spiritually, and he started, at that moment, he started to die physically. I don't have any health records on Adam, but, but I can guarantee you, after... After his sin, it might be he had rheumatism and arthritis and this and that and the other like other folks. I mean, before the curse, there was no venom in the serpent. There was no thorns on the roses. And everything began to change. And now, he who was alive is spiritually dead and affecting him physically. Now, there are a lot of folks that are religious but they're lost. You hear people say, well, that, that, those people, you know, how can you say they're not Christians? Because they are so good and they're so kind. They're just so very thoughtful. I, I, and they believe the Bible just like you do, only they just, you know, they've got a different take on some things. And, and as long as they're sincere, we dare not criticize them. Well, I could be sincere in getting in the medicine cabinet and getting a bottle out without a label on it and thinking that's cough syrup and it could be strychnine and be dead. Sincerity is not going to protect anyone. And you can be religious, but you are lost. So sad to look on a world that has no, no, no sense of purpose, a world that is empty, uh, the world is longing for something, but they don't know quite what it is. They're religious, but their religion is not a remedy for their sins. You could join every church in town. I think some people almost tried that. They run from one church to another. They're never satisfied wherever they go. They just go from church to church. But if you joined every church in town... You could be baptized so many times like the old timers used to say, baptized in the creek so many times that every tadpole know you by your first name. And it still wouldn't wash away your sins. You're just as dead as a dodo bird. No life. You can, read, you can read all of the books about the Bible and you can read every word of the Bible and you can sing all of the songs in the hymn book. You can help with all of the projects in the church, by the way. Give every penny you've got. 
but it doesn't have any spiritual life in it. The only place you find the life is in Christ, and He came to provide life for you. He projects the light that we need, that we can see, that we can have an understanding. And then He gives the life that we so desperately need. But then He came also to proclaim liberty. We see that here in the Gospel of John. But let me give you, let me give you something out of Luke chapter 4. You know, businesses and churches, we write oftentimes a mission statement, statement of purpose. Do you know Jesus did that? Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Now I want you to listen to every phrase here. To preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You see, the Bible pictures man as being in bondage. And that's exactly what he says there. And Jesus, Jesus saying, I come to set the captive free. You might be here today and you think to yourself, well, I'm not one of those what you call Christians. I'm... Certainly not a Baptist. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't be a Baptist. And you can rant and rave against that all you want. But you think in your mind, and a lot of people talk about it, that I, I'm, I'm free to do as I please. But that's not the whole story, folks. You might be able to do as you please, as God allows, but you're not, you're not able to do as you ought, as you should. Anyone can sin... In fact, everybody does. But not everyone can stop. The unsaved person is in bondage whether they realize it or not. Oh, it might not be bondage to alcohol. It might not be bondage to drugs. But in some way or another, they're all in bondage. And you see, this is part of the problem. It was the problem, in fact, with the Jews and here in John chapter number 8 is the Lord is dealing with those people. Now remember, He came to bring light and life and to set people free. But listen to what they said in chapter 8, verse 33. They said, we were never in bondage to any man. Now that was, listen, that was spoken in response to what Jesus had just said. Verse 32, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's clear that the Lord was implying that they were not free, that they were, they were captives. They were in bondage, they just didn't see it. And so he points out the fallacy of their reasoning and then these wonderful words in verse 36 of that chapter. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Thank God for that. You see, no person is really free until they receive Christ as their Lord and their Savior. He can deliver us from the condemnation of our sins, and He can deliver our life, as it were, from the habitual practice of sin. Thank God for that. Oh, how hard sometimes unsaved people will try to, 
to change their life. They, in their mind, they want to do better. They know they ought to do better. Everybody keeps telling them they ought to do better than what they're doing. And they make an effort. Some of them get a, get a little better in a sense, but you call that, folks, reformation. That's not regeneration. Regeneration is giving life to something that's dead. Reformation is just, well, it's just changing something. And there are a lot of folks that have made a few changes and they identify themselves as Christians when in reality they are still in bondage, just like that religious crowd that Jesus spoke to in John chapter 8. Man, it's as though they were saying to Jesus, man, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know who you're talking to. We've never been in bondage any man. We're the seed of Abraham. We're okay. Really? You say, well, people don't think like that today. Is that right? I've talked to folks that was convinced that they were going to heaven because their grandpa was a deacon in the Baptist church. Really? Oh, our family's always been Christians. I, this is a true story. I, out knocking on doors, knocking on the door, and talked to a woman, answered the door, and I asked her during the conversation, I said, we're from such such church. And, and just come by wanting to, wanting to check out the neighborhood and just wondering if you're a Christian. And she was shocked, maybe a bit angry. She said, of course I'm a Christian. I was born right here in America. Really, and I felt like saying, well, you could have been born in a barn, but it wouldn't make you a billy goat. No, I didn't. I was nicer than that. And there's really nothing, you know, nothing funny about that. It's just, that just shows how ridiculous people are when they think that because of their heritage that they're going to be a Christian. What they need is light and life and to come to the one, the only one that can set us free. Now I want you to notice something else back to John chapter 1 verse 17. This is so wonderful here. We see that Jesus came to prove love. He says, for the law was given by Moses. And that was, listen, that was very important. It was essential. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Oh, every kid in this building today could quote John 3.16, right? God so loved the world. Not just some little segment of it. God so loved the world. You see, Christianity is unique. It's unlike any other religion on earth. The heathen never think about their gods in terms of love. Their gods are depicted as angry deities whose wrath has to be appeased in some way by man's effort. I mean, some of them go so far as to take their little children and to throw them to the waiting crocodiles in the Ganges, thinking that that will that'll make my God happy. How sad it is to see a world in such darkness. But the Bible makes it clear that with the true and the living God, there's love. 
You see, love is the very essence of who God is. It's not just that he loved or that he loves. He is love. Thank God for that. To know that he loves us with, with a love that knows no end. He loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, that's the most amazing thing in all of the world because, you know, absolutely nothing can encourage us like knowing that we are the objects of God, this perfect God who loves us unconditionally with an everlasting love. I mean, that is the wonder of all wonders. And it's so sad on a Christmas day like this to think that around the world that there are those who are celebrating Christians or Christmas. The people that are knowledgeable to an extent that there was a baby born of a virgin, they acknowledge that miracle, but they have never embraced Him as their Lord and their Savior. The one who offers light and life and liberty and has demonstrated His love. This is God's gift to mankind. And yet we reject Him. And you need to think about that, folks. He came. What does that mean? Well, for the sinner it means salvation. It wouldn't be any salvation without Him. For those that are fallen, it means forgiveness. He came to reconcile those who were rebels against God, to help those who were helpless, to heal those who were hurting, and to give hope to those who are hopeless. And I love what John wrote later on over in 1 John chapter 5. And he said, and we know. Isn't it good to be able to be certain about some things? He said, but we know that the Son of God has come. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And hath given us an understanding. How did he do that? Well, he came because he's the light of the world. He's given us an understanding. Notice that we may know him that is true. Now get this. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And because he came... Because He accomplished His mission on this earth, you and I as Christians can live every day knowing that the best is yet to come because He who came said, I'm coming again. I'm going to come back again. He came to earth to be with us, for us. I love that word Emmanuel. That's Christmas in one word. Emmanuel, God with us. What a marvelous thought that is. He came to us. He died for us. He dwells within us. And He promised He'd never leave. Now, oh, listen to that sometimes. Whenever the weight of the world is upon us and it seems like, seems like that nobody knows or nobody cares. There are times when we're going through troubles and trials. The valley is so deep. The cloud storms never seem to lift and to go away. There are times that, well, like Job and others in the Bible, 
we begin to wonder to ourselves, has God really forgotten about me? Oh, no. He hasn't forgotten. He dwells within us. He promised to never leave us. And it's because of His presence, knowing that He's here, regardless of how you feel. Somebody said, well, boy, I just really felt the presence of the Lord today. Well, let me tell you, neighbor, He didn't just walk in today. He's been there all of the time. But we said we get all of the, we get reality mixed up with our feelings because I'm going to confess there are some days I, I don't, I'm ashamed of it. Some days I don't really feel like a child of God on his way to heaven because my mind has been distracted by something else going on in this world. Boy, we can look around us and see all of the problems or maybe we look within and think about our own personal problems to the point that that old valley of depression just gets lower and lower and we sink lower and lower and it seems like life is so unfair. No, wait a minute. What, what did we ever deserve to start with? Zero. Nothing. And if we don't deserve anything, we ought to be thankful for everything that God gives us. And because He is with you, I promise you, you can have companionship when you're lonely. When the whole world has gone out from you and nobody seems to care, there's that companionship of Christ. There's comfort when you're afraid. There's a calm that He can give you when your heart is troubled and courage when you're just overwhelmed by something. I'm glad we don't have to depend upon our own so-called strength whenever we're facing things that are difficult. Amen. I'm glad we serve a God and we have a God within us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is living in every child of God. And whenever you come to some great challenge in life, you can have confidence. and That gives you courage. At times whenever we're confused... And He provides the counsel that we need. I'll admit it, there's sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little depressed about things. But oh, listen, because He lives within, He can bring a cheerfulness, cheerfulness to my life that it, it can't be faked, it can't be reproduced, can't be given by any other source. And then whenever we think about all of our needs, because as long as we're in the world, we're going to have needs, aren't we? Just knowing that He is living within gives contentment. He, Jesus tells us that we're to be content with such things as we have. We can be content because we have something that the majority of the world sadly knows nothing about. That the Spirit of God is living within us. Now here's the question. He came. Just like He said. And I hope I've shown you the reasons why He came and the result of it. But here's the question. Have you received God's gift? You see, Christ is the gift of God. He offered Himself up as the sacrifice for our sins says here in John chapter number 1 
verse 12, verse 11, he came unto his own, and what happened? His own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to make a decision. Now you might think in your mind, preacher, I need to go home and think about this. I'll talk with you about it later. I'm just not quite ready yet. I've still got some questions. Let me ask you this. There are no questions about whether you're unsaved or not. If you've never received Christ, you are unsaved. There's no questions about what your need is. It's eternal life, forgiveness from God. You need that. And there's no question about what Jesus has provided and offered you. And you walk away from God and what He has provided. You have nobody to blame but yourself for the end result. Please don't turn Him away today. Please don't ignore what He has proven and what He has given and all that He offers. This could be the greatest Christmas that you've ever had. I promise you it would be if you're not saved, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, yeah, but it's so complicated, preacher. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I went to one church. They said, well, you've got to join our church if you're going to heaven. And I went to another church. They said, well, You've got to be baptized if you're going to heaven. I went to another church, and believe me, there are churches just like the ones I'm describing here. Denominations just like I'm describing. You go to the other ones, and they say, well, if you, if, if for you to really be saved, at that point, you've got to cease all sin. You, you've, you've got to quit doing all of the bad stuff and start doing all of the right stuff. And if you don't, you're really not even saved. I'm glad that my Savior accepts you right where you are, just like you are. And He's the change agent. We don't change ourselves. It's the Spirit of God that changes us. But first, we have to receive Him. He came. That's why we're here today. Because He came. And we're here today to celebrate the fact that He came give you light, to give you life, to give you liberty, to set you free from the bondage of sin. So, well, what have I got to do? He just said there in verse 12, believe. I, I didn't write that. I'm just reading it to them that believe. That simply means to have faith in Christ, to trust in Christ, to be confident that He'll do what He promised if we Receive Him as our personal Savior. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Here God is offering you the greatest gift that anybody could ever receive. You can go on pretending and playing church if you want to. But it's not going to get you anywhere you want to go. Let's all stand and Brother Nolan is going to come and the musicians and we're going to sing an invitation verse. We'll be having a baptismal service in just a little bit, but right now we're more concerned about you and your spiritual condition. If you're not saved, please, right now, would you come and say, I'm putting my trust in Christ. I don't understand it all, 
but I'm trusting him as my Lord and my Savior. Father, bless your word. Lord, we could never do anything or say anything about it that would be convincing enough to persuade men against their will. But we know, Lord, that your word has power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I just pray, Lord, for that man, woman, maybe a boy or girl is here today and they've never truly trusted Christ. Lord, I pray that this day that they might receive the wonderful gift of your Son and leave here knowing that they have life eternal in their heart. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Now while we sing, you come. 435. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed.